You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Dirk Kussler on the show with me today. He is the author of the brand new book, which was just released, Clive Kussler's The Devil's Sea, which if you are a uh, a Dirk Pitt fan, uh, this is the 26th edition in the series. Is that right, Dirk? Yes, it is. Twenty Number 26. That is that is crazy. Um, you know, I've, I've seen... Dirk Pitt novels, um, you know, nearly all of my adult life and and nearly my my whole life, it feels like, um, you know, to to have a new edition of this and and so many in the series that is amazing. At uh, uh, how does it feel to to keep a character like Dirk going? Uh, it's a challenge, but it it is kind of daunting when you look back at it. I think his first, uh, my father's first book was uh, published in 1973, so it is uh, pretty crazy to think we're we're scratching up on 50 years of the same series that is crazy uh, yeah um dirk but before we get into the new book and stuff uh we begin each show with the same question and that question is what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller well it's it's funny um I had a, a, a career in corporate finance before I got into writing, so I, I didn't have a burning desire to be a writer when I was young. But I will say, having grown up with with a writer as a father, uh, it was it was not a, a foreign concept. And in fact, I always thought at some point I'll write a book. Uh, I didn't expect to be writing the Dirk Pitt series, but uh, <laughs> I figured I'd be writing a book. And maybe there's some osmosis to that too, because one of my earliest memories is. Um, as a child, we lived in a three-bedroom house, and I had two sisters who had a room together, and I had my own room being the boy, but it was also my father's den, and he worked in advertising, And uh, but he came home at night when he decided to start writing, and uh, he would work in the evenings when I went to bed, and so my, some of my earliest memories are falling asleep with him sitting in the chair three feet away with a, a yellow legal pad uh, uh, plotting out books and stories or or tapping away on his manual typewriter when he got to the point of actually uh, typing in uh, some of the chapters. Well, well, speaking of osmosis and, um, you know, growing up with a writer, um, what sort of encouragement did your father give you? I, I know that that was not your uh, that writing was not your initial career path. And I think if I remember right, I, I saw a video several years ago where your dad talked about uh, that that you worked in finance and and that one day you didn't want to do that anymore and he had the idea well why don't you write the next Dirk novel and uh, you know kind of this this handing off um, but in a it 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 felt to me like um, that the the handing of that off to you was a very natural and organic thing that it, it, it wasn't, you know, some great family scheme that you had, you know, that was, um, at, what kind of encouragement did your dad offer to you other than, you know, just kind of being in, in his presence and being in the presence of a writer that, you know, these things just kind of naturally wear off. But did, did he ever like encourage you to, you know, that you, that I think you have a story in you or anything like that? 
Well, you know, it was actually his idea to to pass the series on to me. I, I had taken a severance uh, and I was looking at something different to do. And uh, I actually had, I was working with a, one of his other co-writers. We were kicking around the idea of doing a, a nonfiction uh, historical treatment on aviation of all things. And uh, it was at that point, my mother had passed and I think he had, had felt a little burnout as well. And, uh, and he approached me with the thought of, hey, would you like to take on writing the pit books? And uh, honest to God, it wasn't something I had, had expected or, or planned to do. And uh, I think I'd you know, readily accepted, I mean, such an offer uh, with a lot of naivety, but uh, uh, <laughs> he was always, always so encouraging. And, um, you know, I, I look back and I laugh and even even on the other eight books I've written together with him, uh, he always had such a light hand. He, I, I expected him, especially on the first one, uh, to be uh, more critical and uh, maybe a little bit heavier handed since I was his son of all things, trying to take on his, his legacy. But uh, it wasn't the case at all. And he was always very positive and encouraging. And, uh, and it, it, it just kind of was a, a sort of a seamless uh, transition, uh, odd as it sounds. I can, I can only imagine, um, you know, the, the, it, it's a fascinating story. Like, like you said, you kind of expect that he would be harder on you, um, you know, be, because you're his son, obviously, but there's a, kind of a quiet confidence in uh, that he believed in your storytelling ability that that had to feel um, unimaginably uh, great to, to have that kind of confidence from from such, uh, you know, a, a writer of such renown that that's that's almost incomprehensible to to think about. Yeah, I, I, it certainly is. I think he had more confidence than I did. And, uh, <laughs> But uh, but it was such a great influence, and and maybe just having grown up on his works, you know, I, I probably had a, an inbred advantage. Uh, certainly, uh, coming of age reading his books while I was growing up, uh, he was certainly the foremost author in my mind. And uh, not only that, but just just knowing him, knowing who he was, uh, and what was important to him, and and his his character, and and how you know he in a sense. Uh, is, is sort of Dirk Pitt in so many ways. So um, I think just, just knowing him so well maybe was was very helpful in terms of, of writing the books uh, and just sort of knowing what was important to him and, and maybe, I don't know, feeling the same way, I guess, in terms of telling a story. Sure. Um, Dirk Pitt, you know, with, with the, the new book, The Devil's Sea, is the 26th uh, book in the Dirk Pitt series, as we mentioned. Um, with a character that is as long running as Dirk is, there there's an uh, kind of an, a, a built in there's a built in audience for the book, obviously, because there's lots and lots of fans that have been fo- following along for for decades. Um, but for a new reader who comes to the Dirk Pitt series and and you know picks up the Devil Sea and it looks like a fascinating story and there's a uh, you know an interesting plot uh, that that the book dives into um how accessible is this series for new readers for people that are just discovering um the the dirk pitt uh character and and all of you know his uh the people around him and and the adventures that he goes on i mean uh clive kind of uh kind of set the um uh 
he he really defined what an adventure thriller is. Um, but you know, with a long running character like this, how accessible is it for new readers? Oh, I think they're all very standalone books. So I, I think it's it's very easy to to pick up the Devil's Sea or really any of the books and just jump right in. Uh, the, the stories are, are not sequential, so they don't really key in from one to the next. Uh, and yes, you, you might learn a little bit more uh, about the characters, and, and uh, I suppose that's maybe one of, one of my challenges after so many books have been written, is to perhaps maybe gloss over some of the recurring characters that have been introduced so many years ago, because I feel like I know them so well, maybe I don't have to describe them uh, <laughs> in as much detail as, as the uh, cold reader coming in. But uh, uh, but as I say, uh, you don't you don't need to start from the beginning. You don't need to, to start in the middle. Uh, any one of the books, I think, stands stands uh, on their own merit uh, individually, and and uh, hopefully are, uh, are fully entertaining to read as they are. In in any list that you look of look at of writers that are uh, folks that you should study. Uh, for plot, uh, Clive Cussler is always mentioned on on those lists. Um, when when you begin a book, um, you know, and and one great thing about the Dirk Pitt novels is there's always uh, an historical element, and then there's there's some cutting edge science, um, and then there's the human element. Uh, where these things uh, kind of all crash in together. Um, when you start thinking of a new book, what are the what are some of the first things that you start looking? Do you, do you find an intriguing historical mystery? Um, do you kind of play the what if game of you know what what would happen if this happened? And then you know how do we bring in modern technology? Uh, how does how does the the premise of a book start to take shape? Just, just exactly that, Hank. Right on the money. It's, it's uh, usually it's, it's it begins with a historical premise, and and as you say, trying to find maybe a historical mystery uh, that that can be uh, uh, parlayed into a, a full story with with some modern hooks to it. I will say on the Devil's Sea, it was actually sort of geographic, is is where my probably initial start was. I, I thought. Of all the all the pit books, uh, uh, there's really been no scenes or, or action that have taken place in the Himalayas, so I thought, well, maybe that would be a, a maybe a starting point. And I started uh, as I looked at that. I, I read some books on Tibet uh, and some of the history of Tibet. Uh, read the Seven Years in Tibet. Uh, I found this this other great uh, uh, story about a a uh, B-17 crew in World War II that was flying the hump. Uh, they were transporting supplies from India over to China for the nationalist Chinese uh, fighting against Japan. And um, they had been blown off course in this storm and lost radio contact. And they ended up flying 300 miles uh, out of the way and, and bailed out over Tibet. And uh, it was just fascinating that, that at that point in time, what a, a closed country, a closed society Tibet was. I, I virtually... Uh, very few people came across the borders. There were there were no Westerners to speak of in the entire country. Very very restricted, very closed country, uh, and just very kind of fascinating uh, account of, of these American pilots uh, and flyers that uh, had to make their way. Uh, they were brought into the capital and made their way out of the country, and that sort of set the stage for looking at some of the other history, and uh, uh, which ended up bringing into the book is is with the Dalai Lama and his uh, uh, fleeing into exile in uh, the late 50s when the Chinese came in with their military and were, were most likely going to arrest him and put him in jail to, to remove him from power. 
I uh, just thought was sort of a, another compelling point in history, and I sort of drew on that, I guess, for for developing the prologue and the initial story. So what is the, you know, there's always kind of an inciting uh, incident that kind of kicks off the story, that, that kicks off the the treasure hunt, if you will, and, and the adventure that follows. What is the... What, what was that? Uh, I, I know what you just you know talked about Tibet and and the Dalai Lama and, and but there's an artifact uh, that comes into play here. Uh, what is that artifact and how does it really kick off the story? Right. So the the Dalai Lama relies upon an oracle. There's a, a state oracle called the Nichung Oracle, uh, and there's an individual who who. Um, is a medium. He puts on this massive headdress and, and communicates uh, uh, with the, the spiritual entity and provides uh, advice to the Dalai Lama. And one of his, his, his key roles is, is when the Dalai Lama passes, is the oracle helps identify where the next uh, reincarnated Dalai Lama will be found. And the, the elder lamas, like in the case of the Dalai Lama the 14th, the current one, uh, the oracle at the time identified, I think, a town way out in the, the sticks of, of western Tibet, and some elders went out there and, and found a small boy, and, and they performed some tests to determine whether he was the true Dalai Lama, and then, of course, he was raised within the, the monks in the monastery. So I, I play on that, and again, going back to the, the, the era when, when he was evacuating uh, the capital Lhasa in 1958, that... Um, I have a, a crew of, of Tibetan guerrillas that are trained by the CIA, which is based on fact. Um, but I have them fly in and uh, with the intent of secretly evacuating the Dalai Lama uh, before the Chinese can, can capture him. And they unfortunately arrive a little too late. The Dalai Lama's already departed, but they do instead, uh, we're, we're going to retrieve the, the Oracle as well, who's also gone. But they retrieve a, a statue in the monastery that was critical to the Oracle and his ability to uh, communicate and help him identify ultimately uh, the next Dalai Lama. So they spirit away this, this statue, but unfortunately the plane crashes on the way out. And so uh, that sets up for a, a chase to try and find this artifact that has uh, significant spiritual significance to the Tibetan Buddhists and also the Chinese for both reasons of uh, political control over the next Dalai Lama, Dalai Lama, or the selection of the Dalai Lama. And then I also, I also tie it in uh, just for fun into the uh, sort of a technological uh, aspect that, that relates to another subplot in the story. Dabble is a proud sponsor of Author Stories. Dabble is an easy-to-use cloud-based writing tool that gives writers a way to organize, plot, and create amazing stories wherever they are. Write in our desktop app on your Mac or Windows computer, tablet, or mobile device. Dabble syncs your latest version with the cloud on all your devices. Write anywhere and anytime inspiration strikes. We got you. Dabble is my preferred writing tool, and I think it will be yours as well. Visit DabbleWriter.com for your free trial. You have an amazing story idea. You execute the writing and editing flawlessly, and now the only thing missing are readers. We can help you go from author to author superhero with Story Origin. Story Origin is a one-stop shop for marketing tools with a community of amazing authors working together to find reviewers, build mailing lists, increase sales, and collect feedback from beta readers. Everything an author needs, all in one place from providing review copies or beta copies 
Reader magnets to ensure you stay connected with readers, easily distribute audio promo codes, universal retail links to send readers directly to the proper point of purchase, or provide direct download links for members of your mailing list. Story Origin has all the tools you need in one easy-to-use site. Use the promo code ASP21 at checkout when subscribing to the yearly plan and you will get 10% off your first year. This code will expire December 31st, so hurry over and subscribe now. StoryOriginApp.com One of the best things about a Dirk Pitt novel is it's not just Dirk and, and his ability to uh, find trouble <laughs> all over the world, um, but it's this uh, unique cast of characters that that come along with Dirk. And uh, you know we've we've got Numa and and all the people involved with that, and then all of the other people in Dirk's life. In this book, you bring in Dirk's children, Summer and Dirk Jr. Um, as someone who uh, who knows a little bit about joining the family business. Um, what what did adding these characters do for the story and for Dirk, uh, you know, as a as a very human character uh, that we love to go on adventures with? Well, I, I suppose that's sort of the the bit of a, a character arc of, of Dirk Pitt himself. Um, you know, in, in the first books, he, he's sort of a, a swinging singles bachelor uh, dating exotic women uh, in the course of his adventures. And then uh, uh, later on, he, he ultimately marries his girlfriend, uh, Lauren Smith. And uh, so in Valhalla Rising, which I guess was about 10, 10 or 11 books ago, uh, my father introduced the children who, who appear as, uh, as adults in the story and begin to uh, uh, have roles in, in the adventures going forward. So uh, they've, they've grown up a little, I think, over the course of the last uh, eight or 10 books. And uh, uh, originally they were about college age, I think, when they were introduced. So now they're maybe maybe a little bit older and more mature and able to, to, to help uh, more capable, I guess, of handling adventure on their own. So uh, certainly in this book, they do like in the last couple um, take on one of the one of the subplots, and in this case, uh, they're the ones who end up in in uh, the Himalayas in India, trying to uh, pursue the the wreckage of this airplane and, and locate this statue. Dirk, we we talked earlier about um, you know you kind of taking the reins of of Dirk Pitt from your father, and and the the grace that he gave you um, to kind of find the story for yourself. Um, what sort of uh, what sort of the advice did he give you? Uh, was there ever uh, do you looking back? Do you remember any any times where he kind of steered you you know toward um, you know, this is how I do things. This is an, an easy way I found to do, or maybe not an easy way, but this is the way I do it. Um, were there any things that he gave you that shape you as a writer? You know, not a great deal in terms of actual mechanics and specifics of writing. Uh, certainly from from a creative standpoint, uh, he was such an imaginative fellow. Uh, and and he, he certainly was able of thinking outside the box so much in terms of, of developing plots and so forth. Uh, I think his, his, his greatest encouragement or, or maybe philosophy was, was really to sort of have fun with it um, and to make it entertaining. So uh, he, he certainly was, had, a, had a sharp eye to cut out uh, uh, maybe descriptions that, that run too much. Uh, as, as an author, you know, you tend to research things 
and you become a, a, a minor expert on a topic, you know, history, <laughs> history or, or sure. technology, technology or something. And so you you tend to maybe over <laughs> overrun or want to show off your brief knowledge that you've acquired. And uh, but the reader doesn't need to know all that. They just need to know what it is uh, uh, to, to keep the story moving along. So so he was very good at that, I think, in, in terms of, of trying to focus on a keeping the story moving, keeping the pace strong and not get bogged down in what he used to call deadwood that really didn't didn't help the story. But uh, but I'd say his, his most lasting impact is, is really just kind of trying to maintain that that sense of fun in the story. Um, he used to used to have a saying. It says, "Well, if it ain't fun, it ain't worth doing," and and so I kind of try to try to keep that in mind while writing the books as well, and and certainly want to want to make the stories fun to read for the reader. Speaking of that sense of fun, uh, Dirk Pitt has been compared a lot in the past to another character that we love, and that's Indiana Jones, um, who who mostly has had you know everything we know about Indiana Jones you know comes from a handful of movies, and and uh, we have so much more that we know about Dirk Pitt and adventures that we've gone on. Um, how do you see the the comparisons between those two characters, and and what do you think? Uh, why do you think Dirk Pitt is is a a better realized character, maybe? Oh, well, they're they're both really sort of iconic American heroes, I guess, and, and maybe sort of you know to some extent reluctant heroes. Uh, they both they, they both love history. They both love unraveling mysteries. Um, but uh, uh, Pitt, I think, is just uh, I don't know if he's maybe 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 more down to earth. Maybe just kind of a more realistic character. Uh, you know, you you can picture having a beer with Pitt in a bar somewhere. I'm not sure so much with Indiana Jones. You would <laughs> would think that. Uh, so maybe just a, a bit more of a, a, a common man touch. I think maybe at the end of the day. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's sort of tough comparing a, a literary character to a, a film character. <laughs> <laughs> um, th- there's been um, yeah, thrillers are are probably more popular now than than they've ever been, um, and a lot of thrillers tend to lean. Uh, toward the darker side of psychological thrillers or maybe military thrillers or or and, and there are certain hallmarks that make those types of books what they are. Um, but one thing that we can count on from a Dirk Pitt novel is plenty of action, plenty of adventure. Um, and and they don't lean toward the darker side. I mean, like I, I would I would hand a Dirk Pitt novel to just about anyone. And, and that's not to say um, that that they are not uh, fully realized, that they're not, you know, full of adult situations and, and things like that. But they're um, they're accessible to everyone. Um, what do you think about the thriller genre uh, in, you know, as a whole and, and where Dirk Pitt fits in the literary landscape of today? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's there's a place for for all of that. I mean, uh, some people like the more dark psychological thrillers, uh, and and but some readers don't. And and I think I, I just think back to my father when <laughs> when I think eye opening moment for him, and, and it was one of his a book signing at one of his first books, and and a fellow came in and he had his nine year old son who, who wanted an autograph and. I think my father felt sort of embarrassed because in the book there was a, a minor sex scene and maybe a few bad words, and and he you know after that it was like no that's you don't need that okay you don't you don't need the the foul language you don't need to have sex, 
and and why not make something that that everybody can read? Uh, that because kids like kids like reading the books too, and so uh, I think from his mind, yeah, he he wanted something more wholesome, and and I think that just sort of fit his mentality too, and uh, and why not reach a broader audience for that as well? I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. Um. The 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 Dirk Pitt novels, especially, um, you know, as we talked about before, are are usually hailed as, um, you know, a great place to study plot. Um, as a writer, um, and, and we we talked about kind of the the idea of how um, the plots come about or, or what what elements you look for to start shaping a plot. Um, how much of the of the you know from the, the writing mechanic standpoint. Um, do you plot out the book before you begin the actual drafting of the book, or what is that process like for you? Yeah, yeah, I have to. I, I, I make a, a rough outline. I, I, I don't have the capability, I guess, the mental capability to, to detail out a, a full book up front. Uh, it just doesn't come that easy or naturally for me. But I, I do uh, want to have the ending in mind. So uh, typically, as, as I mentioned, I'll, I'll, I'll start with a historical premise and then try and formulate that into something that relates to the modern world. Uh, and, and at the back of my mind, I, I need to sort of have the, 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 the ending in mind. Uh, I find that as I go through it, I'll, I'll kind of detail the outline maybe step by step as I move forward through the book. Uh, and, and formulate more specifics maybe on the next 100 pages or so as I go. But it, it, it gives me some flexibility, I think. Uh, a lot of times you end up kind of, kind of veering off in a, in a direction maybe you didn't anticipate uh, at the beginning. Uh, sometimes it, it drives you into a box too maybe where, where you think you're going to go uh, resolve some, some plot points and maybe you find that they're more difficult to resolve than you <laughs> imagined at the beginning or there's technological limitations and things like that. Um, but uh, uh, for me, that's that seems to work best. And, and like I say, I, as long as I kind of have an ending in mind and, and a, a way to get there, then then that seems to kind of uh, lay out enough of a path to, to sort of to work the, the plot line to the conclusion. When when you um, talk about sometimes kind of writing yourself into a corner and well, this didn't wind up the way I, I kind of envisioned. Um, how many times has it happened the opposite where kind of taking, you know, following your intuition led you to a place that you couldn't have imagined happening in, in the plotting and the outline of the book has that ever happened where uh, kind of your subconscious mind has worked out something for you that, that, you know, maybe you think, wow, I'm, that was more genius than I thought it could have been. <laughs> that hasn't happened often. <laughs> it, it's happened a handful of times and I, I wish it would happen more, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think every writer wishes that would happen to more. But uh, Dirk, what's uh, what's coming up for for Dirk Pitt? Um, you know, with this is the twenty sixth book in in the in the series. Are there still more adventures to be had and things to to uh, you know mysteries to unravel? I hope so. Yeah, I'm I'm about halfway into the next one. Uh, I still have a lot to to, to, to sort out on that as <laughs> as as we just talked about. Uh, but uh, uh, I've got a basic basic historical premise is is. Uh, I'll just throw out is, is uh, during World War II there, in Paris, uh, as, as the 
German invasion of France took hold, there was certainly a lot of panic in, in France and in Paris to preserve their their historical and artifacts and artwork. And so certainly for the, like the, the Louvre, for example, they they boxed up all the, the famous paintings and shipped them off to the south of France in hidden places to protect them. Um, so I, I just came up with the thought of, well, what happened if, uh, if they shuffled off Napoleon out of his tomb so they, that Hitler couldn't take him and uh, uh, ended up somewhere unknown. And so uh, fooling around with that as, a, as at least a, a little historical toy anyway in the, in the plot and then trying to work some, some ideas off of that right now. Uh, that is a fantastic premise. I can't wait to see where you take that, Dirk. That's going to be amazing. Um, if if people are just you know getting into um, the the Dirk Pitt series and and, uh, and want to you know dig into all of the the books that made him great and all of that, where is a good place for people to start and to get connected with you and with the book series and all of that great stuff? Yeah, well, it's probably fun to go back to some of his earlier ones. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Raise the Titanic was was the one that sort of put him on the map. Uh, and that's that's a good introduction to Pitt. I'd say maybe one or two of my other favorites uh, of his from the early days was Sahara and uh, Inca Gold. Now, some people might know Sahara from the movie with Matthew McConaughey, and uh, we all like to think the book is so much better than the movie. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was one of my favorites. Uh, so uh, I would recommend that. Maybe it's a good starting point, too, to get a flavor for what the series is all about. And they can find all of that at CustlerBooks.com. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. And, and all the back titles are available uh, at Barnes & Noble and, and the, uh, normal online retailers as well. Excellent. Dirk, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. We're going to send everyone to pick up their copy of The Devil's Sea. Links available in the show notes. Thank you, Dirk, for taking time to come on the show. Thank you, Hank. It was a real delight talking with you. Now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from Richard Glebe's The Jason Crane Series. Once and ago, Hulda said, land full of witches, witches in the sky, in the trees, Witches down the well, Justine, a great witch. Many herbs, many friends. One day, curse fall. Everyone die, everyone who believe in Hexe. This 1692. Hidden, the knowledge is. The appointed hide it. <laughs> a great curse cast in Salem that year. Legion. She cast curse to kill the day world. In New Amsterdam they not know, only see. Everyone die. What for? They blame Justine. Chased her off. She come here, I think. Hide from witch hunters. You, her blood. Possibly Hulda was correct. I was a witch, just as she was. She promised my magic would come once I was a woman. I cannot say by what steps I came to believe Hulda's seductive promises of power, but I do know the moment when I chose to be a witch, irrevocably and with my whole heart. On the Sunday that Cornelia Van Cortland became Cornelia Beekman, the newly wedded pair made their first public appearance at church, their coming out, as was the custom 
so that our poor congregation could thoroughly enjoy the spectacle of her bridal finery. The pair arrived late, with the whole bridal party in wedding array. Cornelia wore fawn-colored silk over a light blue damask petticoat. Gerard wore a waistcoat of the same and a long coat of white broadcloth. After services, the Beekmans graciously shared the leftovers of their wedding feast, serving chicken and ale to the congregation, outside among the graves of the old burying ground. The day was pleasant and the grass sweet. The tenant farmers and peasant wives stood all hunched about, licking their fingers and making little bows of deference. Cornelia held a bouquet of orange blossoms to her cheek, and everyone agreed that she was the most beautiful young lady in all creation, married to the most good-natured and remarkable man. That will be you someday, my mother whispered. The sun kissed Gerard's forehead as he reached into his purse and showered the graveyard with coins. All my neighbors fell to their knees at the couple's feet, scrabbling for pennies. Only I remained unbent. I stood, staring daggers into Cornelia as she accepted a surreptitious kiss from her beautiful husband. Oh, that kiss in the graveyard. A perfect kiss of love and devotion and tribute. She noticed my expression of pain and mistook it for disappointment. Did you not get a penny, dear? She said, smiling. Here you go. She threw her bouquet of orange blossoms to me. I caught it and gave her a tiny bow. Yes, I thought, that would be me someday. I crushed the bouquet to my heart and swore my oath. Cornelia would not win. She was no better than I. I was special, too. I wore no emeralds. I wore no silk but I trailed fireflies. I deserved such a perfect kiss. I deserved such a perfect man. And if I could not win a god by grace, I would seize one by sorcery.